The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, bringing you the best information and inspiration we can dig up every single solitary week to help you start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today, we're going to talk about insurance. Don't change the channel. We're going to talk about insurance, and you need to know about it, because it's one of those things that you kind of have a tendency to just ignore and float on through your life until there comes a time when you need it and then it's too late to make it right. So let's just spend an hour together with an expert talking about how to make it right right now so that if the thing that you bought it for happens, damage to your property, personal injury on your property, fire on your property, you don't find yourself having um, being told by your insurance company that you didn't have appropriate insurance and that they're not going to pay the claim and also they're not going to give you back the year's worth of premiums that you paid. Before we get to that topic, a little bit about what is happening out in the world of the Internet tomorrow night. Cincinnati RIA is having its uh, monthly online meeting in conjunction with Central Ohio Real Estate Investors. And if you are a wholesaler or anyone who does or plans to make cold calls, do mass texts, do ringless voicemails out to potential sellers or maybe buyers, I'm begging you to come to this because the first hour, 6 to 7 p.m., is all about how to comply with the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, a.k.a. the TCPA, there have been some recent updates to that law. Um, most of you guys, or at least the ones who are sending me messages wanting to buy my houses, are in violation of the law. And the violations cost $500 per incident that can be turned up of, of you know, that you did or that someone that you have doing it on your behalf did. So it's a, it's, you know, completely just education about the regulation and you need to come see it. If you're interested in the note world or you're wondering why in the world so many people seem to be interested in notes instead of properties, you can stay around for the 730 meeting, which is why notes are a better investment than real estate. We've got a panel of real life investors who are involved in the note world in various ways, buying, performing, buying defaulted, making private loans, buying land contracts, things like that. And they are going to 
uh, tell you why they think it's a better thing to do that than it is to go out and buy houses and apartments and mobile homes and all those solid things that we can lay our hands on. Uh, you can sign up uh, to get a link for that meeting at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A.com. And of course, because it's on Zoom, it doesn't matter where you're listening from. Just, just come. All right. So joining me today to uh, discuss a topic that I am by no means an expert in, although I am, of course, a consumer of it and also have found myself in that position of having to call up my insurance company and say, um, there's something we need to talk about five or six times in my life is Mr. Bill Palti, who is the owner of Palti Insurance and has been in that business since 2011. And what is interesting about Bill and his business is he has chosen to go in a particular direction that most agents do not do. And that is working with real estate investors with all of their weird strategies and ways of holding title and things, different things they do to the property. So he's very used to answering questions about things like, you know, balancing having the right coverage with also not paying more than you have to every month. So if you have questions about things like that or anything regarding insurance, insurance claims, etc., you should give us a call at 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658, or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. He's joining us from his office in Columbus, Ohio. Bill, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vina. I appreciate the introduction and uh, looking forward to an interesting conversation. Yeah, and this is one of those things like, like, um, you know, we talk, we talk on here about asset protection, estate planning, um, you know, stuff, stuff that's not really like, here's how I go out and make a million dollars in real estate tomorrow but which turns out to be both super important if you're going to be in the business and also something that it, like like this kind of discussion is not something you usually would get like in a seminar because you know nobody wants to take up time in in the seminar don't, don't take take time away from you know how do i find deals and finance deals to talk about what the heck do i do after i've bought one <laughs> and insurance is ought to be number one or two on that list of what to do after you've bought one so i'm just curious literally 95 percent of the real estate agents i talk to when i say well you know what i'm what i do is i own rentals and do rehabs and stuff like that they just like oh well i could do that for you but i wouldn't say they were excited about it what what turns your brain toward I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go work with the people who are cheapest, who do the most crazy things, and who have all kinds of title and financing issues I have to work out through the insurance policy. Like like why didn't why didn't you just go do homeowner and car policies like everybody else? Well, we, we do homeowners and cars and everything else, and probably uh, I could fill up an hour's worth just discussing all the things that we do, um, particularly the reason is um, I spent 30 years in the engineering world dealing with the engineering types and the maintenance types that you get into all the stuff that real estate investors get into. It's like, okay, this broke, how do I fix it? And number one, make sure that it works the way it's supposed to all the time. 
and number two, do it as economically as possible. So having physically remodeled five houses through my lifetime, uh, most of them and the ones that I lived, I totally understand what the investors are doing, what quirks they run into. And again, the bottom line is my job is to make sure that the investor stays in business because without you people as investors doing what you're doing, there is no industry. So that becomes kind of self-defeating on itself. So it's just the challenge of doing what you need to do and understanding, as you said very well, all the quirks of the industry to make sure that everything works the way it's supposed to work. So, in other words, you like to solve puzzles, and we present you with a lot of puzzles. Uh, the, the puzzles are not bad. It's just that when you get the puzzle that don't have all the pieces there, it makes it much more challenging. <laughs> Very true. Um, all right. So, uh, Bill, we called for questions, and I don't like leaving callers hanging on the line. So even though we haven't gotten into any discussion about, like, you know, what investors do wrong and what things they should be looking at in their insurance policies. I want to go ahead and go to George, who's calling on line one from Louisiana. George, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Oh, thank you very much. How y'all doing? We're good. How are you, George? Good. That's good. Great. My question uh, is something that's a little abstract from what you're talking about, but say you've got a mom-and-pop company that's got a few houses or mobile homes or LLC or something like that. What about life insurance that's going to protect the people if one of them crosses over to the other side and they don't lose the house. That's actually a fantastic question, George, because not not enough not enough investors think about that, especially when their spouse is only kind of involved in the real estate business, and maybe if 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 she, maybe she's the one who is, and if she dies, he's kind of. You know, what, all these mortgages, all and she. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people who their goal in building up a real estate portfolio was so that if they died before their family members did, the real estate portfolio would take care of their family members. And then the first thing the family members want to do is sell because they don't have the people to run them. They don't have they've all got mortgages, and that concerns them. So I think a life insurance discussion is a really good one if Bill's up for it. Sure. Um- I have life discussions uh, not often enough, but that situation presents itself way more than what you think it does, George. And the discussion is just where your thought process is now. You know, I have I owe $150,000, and where does that money come from to do this, or how do I do it, or as Venus says, Okay, the family members take over. They don't know, don't want to know anything about what's there and what do they do to either get out of it or to find somebody to run it. Um, Unfortunately, the life insurance is that really um, gray area to do. Um, As I describe it, it's kind of like picking up mercury off a table. Every time you try to squeeze it, it moves because there is no right answer and there is no wrong answer. My suggestion is to sit down with the people involved and say, okay, if this scenario occurs, is anybody interested in doing this? And what do you need to know 
to do this and then put that on paper. And when you finish a discussion, you look at the numbers involved and who's involved and say, okay, yes, I need to do something with this because if we're, uh, and I'll throw a number out just for the sake of doing, I'm 50 years old. I pass away today. Yeah, what I have will generate some income, but it's not enough probably to sustain their lifestyle for the next 20 years. What do I have to do to offset that? And that's where the life insurance comes in. Uh, there's multiple versions of how you can do, and that's a more in-depth conversation than we have time for here right now. But definitely search out um, an agent to do the life insurance, have that discussion. It'll take a half hour, 40 minutes to, for them to get their head around what you're trying to do and understand what you're doing. And they will be glad to help you out. And I wish more people had that thought process because you hear the stories all the time. It's like, you know, the person running the business passed away. And in three years, the business is gone because there was no planning on how to sustain it. The life insurance is an excellent part of that. But there needs to be uh, some estate planning and all that that goes into it also. Yeah, there does. And I, I, I just uh, to share with both of you, I had a uh, uh, conversation less than three weeks ago with an investor who was going through this process. And I thought what he had set up was really smart. He said, if I die, my wife will sell everything immediately because she doesn't want to manage it. So what I've done mm-hmm. is I have a term life insurance policy that will pay off every mortgage I have. According to my will, that's what it does. The insurance the insurance goes into my estate. It pays off all the properties. And I have left her detailed instructions about exactly which property manager to hire now that the properties are paid off. And they will, they will, you know, create all kinds of income, even with 10% of it going away to a property manager and instructions to her that she can sell them, but that, that, that that is not my intention. My intention is that it support her for the rest of her life and then our kids for the rest of their lives. Hmm. Excellent plan. I thought so. So then, then all he had to do was figure out like how, how, how much money is that? And I guess in theory, mm-hmm. he could, you know, if in five years it's a lot less money, he could, it's a term policy, so he could buy, he could buy one for less money, right? If it's a million today and it's only 750000 in five years, he could just get a policy for 750000 in five years. Right. The, the risk is the premium of the policy goes up as you get better with age. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a catch-22. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So thank you. Thank you for that uh, opportunity to have that discussion, George. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're thinking along those lines. Uh, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, oh, all sorts of things. Property insurance, liability insurance, insurance on vacant houses under rehab, vacant houses that aren't under rehab, whether you should get actual cash value coverage or replacement, a lot of stuff. But also, if you have questions... You can call them in at 877-772-9658 or send them to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. We're talking today about all things insurance. I know, I know, y'all don't want to talk about it, but you're going to want to talk about it when you have a fire. 
You're going to want to talk about it when the neighbor's tree falls on your roof or vice versa, both of which things have happened to me. You're going to want to talk about it when somebody slips and falls or gets a dog bite on your property. So let's talk about it now. 877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com. Uh, so Bill, um, types of insurance, uh, cause, cause this is where my head starts spinning when I talk about insurance. There's replacement value. There's actual cash value. Neither, and those are like two, you could get this, you could get those two policies on the same property. You got to pick one and then, and then I got to look at it and say, okay, but that covers the house. What about if somebody slips and falls? Can you, can you work us through that a little bit so we understand what we're supposed to be getting? Well, the, the, the complete answer is uh, probably, but it also varies based on what you want to do. Uh, the big issue is the liability insurance, and that's what covers you if somebody's injured on your property. Um, a lot of discussion as far as what value to put on that, uh, some people want a minimum, which is typically $100,000. Uh, some people are totally on the other end. They want the biggest number they can get, which on most policies uh, pretty much tops out at a million dollars. The probability of the accident is very, very, very small. The one that always scares me when people talk about this is they say, well, you know, you know, I, I'm not worried about that. Well, the scenario I use is the four or five-year-old falls down the stairway, injures their back. You now own that claim for their life. Mm-hmm. What number is a good number for that? That's really, really subject to a whole lot of discussion. And the heart, there is no right answer. You just pick the best number based off of what you do to make sure that as the saying goes, you can sleep at night. If you can sleep at night with the coverage that you have, you're good. As far as the property coverage, uh, replacement cost, what that does is basically will rebuild your house as close as it is to the condition of the materials that was there. And what that means in simple terms is if you have an oak stairway, your house burns down with replacement cost you will have an oak stairway that will be put back in. If you have actual cash value, what that means is that they will rebuild your house and there will be a stairway, but it may not necessarily be the stairway that you want it to be. And they will depreciate the value of the property from a cost basis, which basically will be the replacement cost, and then they were removed costs based on the age of the building and the deterioration of the building just physically through age. And there's a long formula that goes through that I try to stay out of because you get into way too many things that you need to know or not know. But in a simple term, if you have a property you're planning on hanging on to for a period of time, replacement cost is probably a good place to be if you're looking to minimize your cost and you're willing to take somewhat of a gamble that you won't have a catastrophic event 
actual cash value is probably a good place to be. And, you know, then there's multiple options within the policy for other things that go with it. But that's a 45-minute discussion, as short as I can make it. So the actual actual cash value, the premium's cheaper, but also... And this is this is where I ran. This this was my first discovery of the fact that I had actual cash value insurance instead of replacement value. Most things that are going to happen that are going to be insurable claims are not total losses of the property. It's not that the property burned down to the ground. It's that there was a fire in the kitchen and it ruined the cabinets and it burned a hole in the roof. Right. It's not it's not we got to we got to tear this house down and start all over again. The thing that I discovered about the actual cash value, and you mentioned it as depreciation, is when I needed that roof replaced, it was going to cost $7,000 to replace it because it, you know, it needs some new underlayment, uh, some work on the trusses, and then the shingles, of course. And the insurance company said, okay, we will give you $3,500 for that $7,000 roof. And I said, well, <laughs> It does isn't going to cost thirty. It's a seven thousand dollar roof, and they said yes, but it was already fifteen years into its twenty year lifespan. So what we're replacing is a roof that is seventy five percent gone already with a brand new one, and we're not going to pay for a brand new one to replace your seventy five percent of the way dead roof. So, uh, yeah, that was um, that was my big lesson in actual cash value, but. You know, in in the part of the country that you and I live in, the the true value of the property is often thirty or fifty percent of what it would cost to reconstruct that property. So, Correct. so in other words, we can have. I mean, you've seen these in Columbus. You can have a, a three thousand square foot two family made of brick in a neighborhood where that house is only worth one hundred twenty five thousand dollars. But the replacement value, like you had to replace it, it would be three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars to rebuild that that property to anything like the standards where it was built in eighteen ninety, <laughs> right? Well, and that's the hard part because most people can't get their head around the difference between reconstruction of on the insurance scale and the street value of property. And then the third variable, which you mentioned, when you buy a 120-year-old house, the question is, do I rebuild it to the 10-foot ceilings or do I rebuild it to the standard current 8-foot ceilings? And all of those numbers and all of those discussions go into that reconstruction value. If you have to rebuild a triple-wall brick, 18 late 1800s house uh you're looking at seven or eight hundred thousand to do that mm-hmm. because right now i don't know that anybody builds a triple wall <laughs> exactly good, good luck even finding somebody who knew how to do that <laughs> well exactly so you know and that's where a good insurance agent will come in because they will rationalize where you are what your cost is and have that discussion and say okay what house do you want if this, something really catastrophic happens that this house goes away? What do you want back? Do you want a two-story house back with brick on the exterior, or do you want it with the 10-foot ceilings and all the stuff that goes into it? Because those are totally different discussions, totally different pricing points 
to get that back together. And again, it has nothing to do with street value of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So most folks who are holding like rental properties long term go for the actual cash value policy because it is generally significantly cheaper than the replacement value. But it is something that you should be aware if you're picking one or the other, what it is you are picking. Um, I have one more question about kind of just the, the general things that we see in policies that we may not always understand as lay people. And that is what sort of things are you constantly having to explain to investors that their standard policy doesn't cover. There's 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 certain things that like in my house it that I live in that the, these things are covered but in a rental property they typically wouldn't be. Um well that that's a yes and no. There are rental policies that will cover pretty much everything that you have on your standard homeowners policy but in most situations, unless the agent is really understanding what the investor is doing, they will not do it. Uh, typically, on the investor world, there's two versions of a policy. There's one that's called a dwelling fire one or some version of that, and a dwelling fire three. And what those relate to is the early 1900s forms of what those policies were written from when they first started in the insurance world. Each of those covers different parts, but the dwelling three covers many more things that the dwelling fire does one does not. For instance, the dwelling fire one, by policy standard, does not cover water damage. Mm-hmm. It gives you a less expensive premium when you buy a dwelling fire one, but when the bathtub floods upstairs and you now have $25,000 of damage from the water, it's yours. Yep. Surprise. There is no coverage for it. <laughs> Surprise, you didn't read your if policy. You have a dwelling, <laughs> yeah. If you have a dwelling fire three, that would be covered. And that's where you really have to look at the details of what each coverage has. They may use different terms. They may say it's basic cover. They may say it's special coverage. They may say it's modified coverage. Each of those in each company has different definitions. And I know it's a real pain. Uh, reading an insurance policy will put you to sleep very easily, but you need to get used to looking at those details or have the agent explain precisely what each of these do because you may buy something that functionally has almost zero coverage for what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you're saving money on it. Well, the reason you're saving money is because it doesn't cover anything (laughs) other than, you know, the wind and hail and true fire, all the rest of the things that don't touch. Yeah, and I can so, I can tell you from 30 years of owning properties that water damage is actually much, 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 much more common than fire damage. Oh, yes. Yeah, and the, the water, you know, everybody says, well, you know, it's a little bit of water. Well, okay, that water gets between your new laminate floor and the subfloor, your laminate has to come up because that's the only way you're going to dry it out. Mm-hmm. 
And if the laminate buckles, when it comes up, uh, what is, was a $2,000 job now becomes a $10,000 job. And it just escalates from there. And, you know, the, the detail is what really makes or breaks the policy. And that's where a good agent will make sure that you, the consumer or the investor, understands why you're buying and what you're buying. And what I recommend to everybody is to ask the agent, if this occurs, what am I covered for? Mm-hmm. That answers your question whether you get, have the coverage that you think you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another area where I think people get um, confused and surprised is, you know, if they a lot of liability policies have some legal defense included, right? If 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 somebody sues you Correct. for because they fell down the stairs, then we're going to cover some of your legal costs as well as potential judgments. But none of that applies if you have actually broken the law. So there, there's Correct. there's no insurance that I'm aware of that you can buy to protect yourself from a fair housing claim or from a lead paint poisoning claim or from a claim Correct. where, um, you know, you didn't fix the water heater and now your tenant's got carbon monoxide poisoning. So it, it's an interesting, I heard you say earlier that a lot of people are kind of meh about insurance, like I'm not really that worried about it. And I think a lot of those people feel that way because they believe that the fact that they have asset protection means they don't, they're not going to lose that much for, for a claim. But what all the asset protection people say, all of them, everyone who's ever been on this show, everyone that I've ever heard of, uh, that I've ever heard speak has said, insurance is your first line of defense. You don't want to have to rely on your asset protection. Insurance is first. Yes, always. Okay, so... And the the second part is anything that is self-inflicted as you, the owner, do that causes an incident is also not covered by insurance. So So if I put it in the water heater and I fail to vent it and two people get sick and they have hospital... Uh, injuries that they're physically in the hospital, I am on the hook for that because the insurance may or may not cover that because I created the situation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. And that gets into that really stupid gray area like, okay, who did what first? And, you know, th- there's an insurance policy out there that will functionally cover anything if you want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Somebody will write you a policy that will cover that. You mentioned lead poisoning. Somebody will write you a policy that will cover the probability of a lead issue. The problem is by the time you get done buying all that insurance, you can't afford anything. <laughs> and that is not our goal here. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to answer some listener questions that came in through askbina at gmail.com. And we're going to Discuss insurance for you flippers out there. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Bill Palti from Palti Insurance out of the Columbus area. Um, taking your questions. I mean, I've got some of my own here, but taking your questions, too, at... 877-772-9658 or... 
You can also email them to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. Got a question here, Bill, from Dana, who says, I own and live in a four-family. However, the mortgage is a commercial mortgage. Where in the world is my insurer? Residential retail providers are always hustling me about what they can do for me, and then they can't insure my property. Happens all the time. Um, There are two ways to do that. Firstly, at that point, what I would do is write it as, and I know this will sound weird, but I would write it as a homeowner's policy with three tenants. There probably will be a cost advantage to doing that just because the owner is living there. The caveat to that is if two years from now, the owner decides that he is now going to buy another structure and move into that, his policy now needs to be rewritten to a uh, commercial rental policy. So he needs to be aware of that. Um, The ugly part of buying a rental property insurance policy is typically that policy will not cover the owner living in one of the units. So they have to be very careful, and the agent that writes the insurance needs to understand exactly those two caveats because either of those written incorrectly could be a problem in the event of a claim, whether the, and it depends on whether the owner is physically in the building or not in the building. Um, like I said, my preference would be the first one is I would write it as a homeowner's with three rental units. Okay. So now all Dana has to do is find herself an agent that understands how to write that policy because I, I, I promise you, Dana, that what you were running into is exactly what I was talking about at the beginning where 99% of the agents that I talk to, you know, they, they I want your business, I want your business, I want your business. Great. I own X number of rental properties. Tell me about how, what you can do for me there. And then, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. They just, they don't know how to deal with that stuff. So now you know what to ask for. And all you got to do is ask the agent, can you do this? And if they say no, you can move on until you find someone who my does. Su- my suggestion is find a local hard money lender. He will tell you who will write that policy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or go to your, I don't know where you're from, Dana, but go to your local real estate association and start asking people who yeah. they're using. And that when you hear the same name four or five times, that's your guy. Because he'll know, he'll know exactly. how to do it. Yeah. Okay, um, have a question here from Gabriel, and this is uh, an interesting one. He said, he says, so I am in the middle right now of an insurance claim. The problem is in my city, if a property is more than 50% damaged by a fire, the city comes in and tells you you can't put back what was there, but you have to upgrade everything to current zoning and building code standards. So now I'm looking at turning what was a perfectly adequate 100-amp service into 200-amp service. I'm looking at making some modifications to the layout to make it non-functionally obsolescent. I didn't want to do all this. Will my insurance company pay for it because the city is making me do it? Maybe. 
Um, the part that he needs to have on his policy is called building and ordinance coverage. 90% of the agents in the country do not understand what that coverage is. What that coverage does is exactly the situation. You have significant damage. You need to pull a rebuild permit. The city says because it is a rebuild, we now tell you what you have to do. If you do not have that on your policy, you now have a total nightmare because it's going to cost you a bunch of money to do all the things that the city's saying you need to do. Um, within that, there's two options. Uh, the first one is you chuck the money out yourself and say, yeah, it is. I didn't buy the policy the way I was supposed to and go on with life. The second one, and I say this tongue-in-cheek because I'm being uh, bad-mouthing my industry, is you go back to the agent and ask the agent why the resident, or why the building ordinance was not on. If he does not offer it, uh, in all probability, he has an Arizona mission situation, at which point that can be added to the policy, and the agent will pay for it, and the insurance company will pay for your repairs. The mm -hmm. second option is much, much more painful, but probably the correct way to do it. If, the, if Gabriel turned down that coverage, he now has that problem because he's going to be stuck with the difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Gabriel, sometimes when stuff like that happens in a really hot market, the best thing to do is take what the insurance company will give you and sell the property to somebody who wants to deal with all of that. I mean, that's, 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 that's the bottom line. You yep. know, I, I did that myself on a property last year that, uh, you know, the, the fire was medium bad. And I just didn't want to deal with the city on the rehab. And the so the insurance company said, well, here's the check we'll write you. And I took it and I sold the property to a rehabber rather than deal with all of that myself. Because mm -hmm. the market's super hot and there's people looking for and rehab that's, properties. That's the third option. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, we have another question here. Uh, Bill, and this one is from William, so this is going to confuse me for a minute because it's William talking to Bill. He says, I have not yet bought my first rental property. However, I hear these stories about people's, people whose tenants trash their house, and that terrifies me. Is there such a thing as insurance that will cover me if a tenant does a lot of damage to my property? Some companies offer tenant vandalism coverage. Um, majority do not. Their philosophy is that if you have tenant vandalism, you did not screen your clients well enough. I don't firmly believe in that philosophy. I think that's a cop-out for the actuaries and the underwriters, but that is the way a lot of insurance companies view the situation. Um, my recommendation is in that situation is to talk to your agent and say, okay, yes, I need vandalism coverage for my unit. Uh, step two is to make sure that the renter has renter's insurance because vandalism probably would be covered 
under the renter's insurance policy where their physical policy would pay for that damage in your unit and it would not cost you anything. Mm -hmm. But again, in that situation, you need to look at the renter's policy to make sure that that damage, in fact, will be covered on that policy. A large percentage is, but, you know, you have to review that with your agent because as a general statement, I can be 50% right or 50% wrong. So <laughs> that that's basically where your options are. The best one is uh, make sure that, you know, you know who you're running to and you, you're good on the deposit and things that go with it to make sure that that person understands that, you know, if I trash the place, that money's not coming back. It may not fully cover the damages, but it will significantly help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So, Bill, we keep teasing people with this idea that we're going to talk about the other side of the real estate business, which is the flip business. I think everybody knows that it's actually a different policy that you're getting when you've just bought a property and it's going to be an active rehab for the next six months and that it's more expensive when that happens. But can we talk about the contractors? Cause, cause I mean, that's where, that's where things are maybe going to go wrong is with, you know, a contractor cutting his own leg off with a circular saw or, you know, leaving something plugged in and the house catching on fire. What kind of insurance documents should we be seeing from them? My recommendation is if you have a contractor that you're going to use, you use the due diligence just as you do with any other business professional. Uh, The good people out there will readily volunteer their information because that's what they do. They're doing the things they're supposed to do Um, from a lot. Basically what I would recommend is to have them give you physically a copy of their insurance policy. Second is when you're satisfied with everything that's on it, you need to be added onto their policy as what is called an additional insured. What that means is that you can file as a homeowner or property owner, you can file a claim against that insurance company for damages done by the person holding the insurance policy. So if you have an electrical contractor come in, screw something up, melt your uh, main breaker and all the things that go with it, you can actually file the claim against his insurance company to have that replaced and or repaired either by him or by somebody else. But it will be to no cost to you. And, again, the the gray area to watch is if you say, well, my buddy down the street can do the electrical work. I'm just going to have him come in and do this. He can come in. If he's the one that fries the electric box, he's not insured. The problem will come up is the owner's insurance policy is going to look at it. It's like, well, we're going to consider this the same as if you were doing this because you're using an unlicensed person to do this, and we're not paying for it. Hmm. 
So there's a lot of caveats that go into it. Um, again, make good business decisions. The primary reason for the increased costs on the vacant or rehab is because there's physically nobody there. You leave at 10 o'clock at night to go home. At 11 o'clock, somebody comes in and removes 80% of the goods that are in the house. Nobody sees it because they're gone. Mm -hmm. And that's where the risk comes from the underwriting side because there is not physically somebody there. Um, and, you know, the costing on it is different based off of what you're looking at for the reconstruction and materials that you're storing in the building and all that. So it's a different conversation, but it's not unique. It's just like everything else. Every product has its own quirks, and that's the way you do it. Um, the one thing I run into a lot is a lot of agents won't mess with a rehab insurance policy because they don't know how to write them to get paid effectively on it for their commission. Mm -hmm. And if you write that policy wrong, depending on how the policy is paid and how long the policy is in effect, basically the agent's not going to get anything for it. So if the agent don't know what they're doing after they write the first two and don't get paid, all of a sudden, they're saying, yeah, we're done because we're not making any money on this. You can make money on it. You just have to pay attention to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about the contractor's insurance policy, you're not talking about what most people think of when they think contractor insurance, which is workers' comp. You're talking about actual private insurance that they should be carrying for their own liability. Correct. Yeah, the workers' comp only covers an injury to that person while they're there. The liability policy covers something that somebody is injured as a result of what they're doing or physical damage to the structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't even think I've ever asked a contractor to see such a policy. So thank you for that. <laughs> because I well, we, we, we get calls on a regular basis. That, you know, does so and so have their policy, and is it covered? You know, is it active? And yes. And the ones that have been through the conversations that we need to be added as an additional insured. What do we have to do? And it's like you know, send us your name and address. We add you to the policy. We send a notification to the policy owner that you knew ha now have a new person that is now associated with your policy for the work on their structure or their operation, whatever their operation is, just to protect the bottom line owner of the property. And you know, a large percentage of people is like, well, yeah, nothing's ever going to happen. Well, if nothing was ever going to happen, I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> so, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, and again, be intelligent with what you're doing with your investment because it physically is your money that you're playing with. Exactly. Well, Bill, unfortunately, we are out of time. I want to let uh, listeners know that uh, you can you can normally find Bill on the Cincinnati RIA Haves and Wants meetings on Friday mornings. To get more information about those, 
You can uh, check out CincinnatiRIA.com, and while you're there, make sure you get registered for tomorrow night's meeting. First part of it is about how to obey the law and not get millions of dollars worth of fines for cold-calling people. Second part of the meeting is about why notes are a better investment than real estate. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.